Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 284 of Cyclocross Radio. On this episode, we're talking about Tomorrowland Cross, also known as Bohm, and then we're heading on over to Skeldacross, or formerly Skeldacross, which now is Antwerpen, the World Cup. And then we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about the upcoming United States Cyclocross National Championships that's taking place this week in Hartford, Connecticut. Before we jump into the show, just want to remind you that Cyclocross Radio is part of the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. Love for you to go over to wideanglepodium.com, become a member, help support the shows we have on the network a couple highlights from the past week or so rob kelly over at criterium nation is uh going through proposals for new uh, criterium rules kind of an interesting discussion uh over at the slow ride podcast if you don't get enough cyclocross coverage on cyclocross radio and you want a a what's the word for it unique take on cyclocross you can um you can get on over to the slow ride podcast matt actually knows what's going on but then you know spencer and uh tim always have um yeah unique takes on on cyclocross racing so worthwhile checking out the slow ride podcast and then grodio amanda and i uh chatted with Two of the principals in the Lifetime Grand Prix and uh, just went over all the successes and challenges from last year for the Lifetime Grand Prix and changes that are being made for next year's series. Interesting look into that gravel mountain biking hybrid series and, and what they're looking to do in the future. You can find all of those shows on any podcast app. I'd uh, ask and plead and beg and recommend that you uh, rate all of them five stars give them five stars and uh, leave a review and uh, do the same for us you can keep up to all with all of the nationals happenings by becoming a member of the cx series bulletin at cxeras.substack.com and you can get a hold of us at feedback at cxhers.com or get onto the uh, Substack app and uh, jump into the chats or if you are a subscriber you can uh, jump into the Slack channel so many ways to get a hold of Zach, Michael and myself alright it's episode 284 of Cyclocross Radio we're in the media pit with Michael and Zach we're talking about Bohm and Antwerp and the US Cyclocross National Championships and we're doing all of that, all of that, right now. We're back in the media pit. We got a full slate, full slate of activities to talk about, including Super Prestige, Super Prestige, right? Boom. Super Prestige, Boom, a World Cup race at the former Gelda Cross, Floaty Cross, Antwerpen course. And then we're going to shift focus to Hartford, Connecticut, uh, coming up later this week for the U.S. National Championships. We're going to dive into the Substack comment section a little bit and pull out some topics from there. But uh, let's, uh, let's get started at Tomorrowland, Michael. What should we start with, women's race or men's race? Let's start with the women's race. It was a banger of a race. Uh, I'm, I agree with Zach, the best race of the weekend. Also might have to put this up in my like top five race of the year so far. I mean, just, you know, when the, um, the cat's away, the, the mice get a play. And, um, you know, Betsima wanted to uh, prove me wrong for all this smack. I talked to her at Koi Trick. And, uh, you know, tried to do her best to win this race. But Anique Van Alphen, uh, riding out of her skin, you know, a rider who really sort of jumped into my attention at Rapin Cross when, you know, she leaped the barriers. And uh, I don't know, love to see it. Love to see these riders sort of like mature a little bit. You kind of forget like she's, you know, that race, she was there. Then she kind of faded. And, and Zach, you want to 
Well, I just want to jump in. I think it's funny that you use the word mature because I for, we forget that she's 23 years yeah. old. She's, she's a, youngster. a youngster. Yeah, she she finished second to um, Femme at uh, Ostenda and U23 World. Anyway, just just a really good race. Go back and watch this one. If you're going to pick any race to actually go back and watch, you know what how Vanderpool races. You've seen that in 2018, uh, 2017. So, but yeah, watch Bone with the women's race. Um, what do you got, Zach? Any got any thoughts on on Bone? Course change a little bit. Any uh. Well, I, I mean, I think in a way you're kind of burying the lead. I mean, we've seen where the young riders are focusing on the World Cup, and we have uh, Pac and Femme doing that. But we had, we had two of the two of the four. I mean, if you're looking at the four young riders who have really stood out uh, in the last couple of years, we had Blanca Vosh was there, and we had Sharon Van Anroy. So you know, we had those two, and they went out like they were going to take over this race. So it was like at the beginning, you're like, okay, I've seen this before, you know. Uh, Sheeran is not in a position where she's the dangler behind Femme and, and Puck, as happened again on Sunday. Um, you know, she asserted herself. Uh, Blanca Vosh kind of got out over her skis. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk in the broadcast about the training camp that she put in. Uh, she put in big efforts and, uh, yeah, maybe, she, maybe not the best way to come off of a training she went camp. Bomb. You know, big bada bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Multi-pass, Lilu. Um, wouldn't you think that if you did a big training camp, that maybe you would be dulled, you wouldn't be as sharp, not be able to go as hard as she did? I mean, like, she was out, you know, like a Red Bull rocket, and then she blew up. But isn't that the plan? If you know that you're kind of fried, just go out as hard as you possibly can and hope for the best? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think we've seen that from riders before, and she definitely... She definitely did that. I mean, but yeah, I, th- this was interesting. I guess, you know, I always take as the guy who writes race reports, the narrative, the story of this race. And we just had so much going on. It was so dynamic. We had lead changes. We had riders who looked great, riders who didn't look great. Um, but all the while, yeah, Van Alphen was just kind of hanging back there. Her and uh, Inga van der Heiden kind of teamed up and it looked like they were really benefiting uh, from racing together. But just kind of you know slowly getting getting back in the in the mix uh but you know michael i, I you were hard on on our friend denise betsima last week what did you think about uh her race her troubles uh what were you what were you feeling watching her go through uh the ups and downs of this i one? think you know i actually rewatched the last lap to see you know how you critiqued her did she mix it up in that end part of the race and we'll get to that but you know the big issue the thing valfin was charging betsima was riding just you know, go hard, ride at the front if you are. Uh, she gets a flat, which really allows Van Alphen to come up with speed, and then, then they sort of engage in a little bit of a battle. Um, my takeaways, once again, is 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 uh, Betsima, jack of all trades, master of none. She's sort of just good at a lot of things, but not great at everything. And technically, Van Alphen was just smoother, uh, better turns, like, Going for the grass, you know, her ent- entrance and exits of these sort of steep downhills are really good. Um, Betsima just kind of seemed, she just kind of flopped around a bit and allowed Van Alphen to stay with her. And then the, on the flats, you would see, you know, Betsima use that power and a little bit stronger. But my God, you, Van Alphen was really like digging so hard. And it was, and it was cool to see her sort of keep with Betsima. And then at the end, I mean, I think. Betsima got in front so that Van Alphen couldn't jump the barriers and have that advantage. Van Alphen jumps the barriers behind Betsima, then keeps sprinting so she enters the sands for the last feature for the start finish uh, first. And then it's just like kind of bogs up Betsima. She has no advantage there. And they go to the sprint. And what happens? Betsima is actually second wheel. I'm thinking, okay, like maybe, maybe she was listening to the cyclocross radio and she thought, let me try something different, but she didn't have it. I mean, Van Elfen just barely, you know, from the front was able to stay in front of her and take that win. Bill, if if like Mariana Voss, you know, playing it perfectly at Fayetteville Worlds, you know, playing Lucinda Brand is just, you know, a prime steak is just delicious. How would you describe that sprint? <laughs> um, one you needed A1 sauce on? 
like was that up. the the was that the worst sprint ever in a like <laughs> classification cyclocross race? <laughs> Brutal. It was in slow mo. They were both blown. They're blown. Both exactly. of them were exploded. Like neither of them had anything left. Like Van Alphen was on the front and like soft pedaling, and Betsima couldn't even come around her. Like, and that's how the finish went. That was before the finish, and then the finish was just like, uh, I felt like it was. I was watching Betsima burn a lot of matches doing running up those hills with her flat tire. I think that that really may have taken a bit of the sting out of what she had had left at the end. So that she that she was even in the sprint was a a, a pretty. A pretty good race for her. I was thinking back to this race last year. I feel like this was the one where Alvarado looked pretty good there, and then kind of, I don't know if she crashed or something. Oh, it was the pits. I think she was. It was her and Lucinda. I think got caught up in the pits at this one. Lucinda ended up winning it. Betsima third. But I think with all this climbing and everything, like Bohm's almost turning into like a specialist course. Like this is this kind of like meets um, certain certain skills. So. It'll be interesting to see what Van Alphen does here next year. Like she was 11th last year and then winning it this year. Uh, but yeah, regardless, she was able to finish it off. And, um, you know, it's good for another Dutch woman to, to, to see the front of a race. She is the, this is, this is, this is the perspective that we have to go in. Like it, most riders, if you were to say, Hey, you are 13th in the world. It seems like you would be like, sweet. I'm doing really well. She's like the last Dutch woman. In, in in the in the UCI rankings at 13th which is just kind of bonkers. Yeah, I mean she really only has one race outside of the top 10 this year. But like we're not ever talking about her, right? Like it's just it's sort of ha- that's exactly to prove your point, Bill. I mean it was the it was the same thing I remember doing a preview doing the uh, Stibar metrics of the U23 women's race in the preview for Ostenda and I think she was like second like if you did, you know, I did a weird thing where I did scores for whatever, but it was just like good results, never really exciting. But I, I, uh, I've been talking about this forever, right? Like we've been talking about bunny hopping the planks in the women's race forever, and we're you know game changing, game changing, and we're like, you know, I mean, Voss and Brand finished second at Worlds last year, nothing, nothing changed too much. I mean, I feel like this is the first time in a European race where, like, my old adage, the barriers don't matter until they do. Like, bunny hopping the planks won a race. Like, it happened in a super prestige race. And I don't know that we've seen that before. And so I think it's just funny that we thought it would be, like, Puck beating Voss or Puck beating Brand by bunny hopping. And nope, it's just a pre-world cup super prestige bomb. I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool and a uh, big takeaway for me uh, from from how that race finished up. Should we move over to the men's race? It seems like there were some um, some things happening. Things things were afoot in the men's race at Boom Zach. Were they afoot or were they <laughs> a knee? probably more a knee? <laughs> somebody somebody needs to learn to ride the cobbles. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Don't you feel like Vanderpool always has? I guess you, we saw this on Sunday, but I feel like he always has a bandaid on his knee now, and I, I, I'm, I feel, <laughs> I did s- notice the band suspicious about that. But, but go ahead, let's go back, let's go back to uh, Vanderpool. Well, Saturday. with that auspicious introduction, we are talking about Matthew Vanderpool <laughs> racing, racing at Bohm, coming around. Was it lap two? Lap two, Pitcock yeah, and, and Vanderpool kind of. At the front, a lot of a lot of uh, Zapruder ing of of this uh, game tape coming around the the transition from grass to cobbles, right by the pitch. Vanderpool is something's he he wants to make a change with his bike. He's he's kind of chatting with his pit crew about something, not really paying attention. Comes around the turn and just just slides out and goes down pretty hard right on that cobbled transition and looks looks like he's done i mean he's you know ripped off his boa he's got a bloody knee it looked like he jacked up his uh possibly his elbow and his neck and he's just kind of walking his bike and i'm, I'm setting you up here michael he's kind of got the same sort of uh thought processes going through his head if you had like little thought bubbles above him that tom pitcock did (laughs) a week earlier except his bike works and uh 
I think he surprised a lot of us. Kept going. Yeah, he really. Yeah, well, you know what? He he's a four-time world champion. He really respects the jersey. He's gonna finish the race. I mean, so just to go back, he's sitting on the ground. He's facing the wrong way. The riders are like riding into him. He's yeah, like blind corner, blind corner. Yeah, exactly. Hands up. You're like, this could be really bad. Like. Did we just like, is this last year all over again? Is this Houston's older? Like, are we done? Um, but he kept riding and it was, it was crazy because he like, he was limping at first, like could, couldn't move his knee. And then all of a sudden he's putting in the fastest lap, you know, three minutes down. So he decides to keep riding to, you know, make sure the knee is okay and functional and loosen things up. And then he just keeps going, but just. You know, he's just three minutes behind everybody. Oh, yeah. they're, they're a guy. I mean, this feels like a this feels like a segue. That I mean, Michael, I think this also begs the results of your poll. Uh, so last week <laughs> we had a little discussion about what makes a uh, you know is a move professional or not. And how did that one turn out? Uh, by the way, uh, give me. I didn't. Uh, I think seventy five percent of people said he uh, said you quit. No, eighty. It was eighty twenty. Did Pitcock should not. Did not need to finish the race. Yeah, pro move. Pro move was so Mike. Thank you, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so my question is like, do we need to do some revisionist history on this? Do we need to repost this poll about Pidcock's move at uh, at Holst? But I think it's completely different, or even opposite circumstances for Pidcock. He'd be running the whole time. Where I think that was the whole point is like he, you know, it does him no good to run that whole lap where after the race Vanderpool was saying, Hey, I could have stopped, but you know, sometimes it's better just to ride it out, try to loosen everything up and, and keep going. So I think he was doing it more as a, as a rehab session, uh, but was still going, you know, at first there were guys like, you know, Jan Lelevit and Ramon Del Noyge, uh, who were like, you're Matthew Vanderpool. What are you doing here? As, as he's sort of like, they're passing him <laughs> as he's running up the hill at the back of the pack. And the guy finished 13th. Like, you know, it, once he got yeah. it all loosened up and everything, um, it, it looked like it was the right move. And, you know, foreshadowing for the next day, it certainly seemed like if he had uh, quit and maybe stiffened up and not been able to, to do that, then maybe he wouldn't have had the result he did the next day. And it also proves it wasn't catastrophically bad i mean we don't know vanderpool's not really a good one to gauge his own um health it seems at times so but uh yeah he was able to ride it out and i think it was the right call on that day i mean the whole time i was thinking i was like by god that's tyler cloutier's music with like hero cam of as he's working his way <laughs> and you know cloutier gets his uh his camera time, but I, I guess one thing I noticed too, and I, Bill, you're you're much more uh, in tune with like you know hero cam, but I think it we didn't see as much Vanderpool as I thought we would have as he was kind of working his way through. I, if he versus if he was Belgian, I feel like yeah. Uh, so to me, it was just I thought we'd see more hero cam because then he just kept working his way up. He's like, oh, though he's like moving his way up, like wow. <laughs> I, I think the problem that he has right now is it's much easier to. I, I feel like if it's Pidcock, he would have gotten that. You know, the world champ always gets that kind of thing. Maybe even if he was in the Dutch national champs, he would have got it. But just like random Alpeson kit, you know, and it doesn't – you're right. He doesn't He doesn't get the same respect that he was getting when he had the, uh, when he had the stripe. So um, maybe they just think it's some random roadie out there. Not worth, uh, not worth following. Yeah, I mean, let's, you know, let's not disrespect the, uh, the riders that were racing, though. I mean, there was – you know, Pidcock was with Vanderpool when he went down. Uh, they were a little bit out the front, so he, you know, he uh, he was able to win, and he kind of he he was had a, a little bit of a gap over the chasers. But once again, just like Koitrick, they kept him honest. You know, like he kind of he couldn't coast in um, with Lars and and Ellie there in second and third. And I was like, huh, okay, so Pidcock wins a race. You know who's on the podium? It's Lars and Ellie. It's like, okay, that happened in Koitrick. That happened at Fayetteville. Go last year. That happened at Holst. I mean, th there's a bit of a pattern here. If, if Pitcock is winning, Lars and Eli are on second and third. Well, I don't know. But they're also racing for something. 
it's it's the whole, it's the same conversation we were having with about Betsima and, and her strategy yeah. and points. And if you look at the super prestige, you know, Vanderhaar is now three points ahead of Ezerbeat in second place and tied well actually tied for first. So that that got him the super prestige lead with um Sweck not in the not in the or Sweck uh, finishing. What did he finish? He was down there a little farther. Well, and I think that's like, I mean, if we're looking at what the story is of, it seems like the rest of the season is kind of like, what are Vanderpool, Van Aert, and Pitters doing? And then what what is the race for the, the money right. and the classification? So, you know, we talk about like, oh, what is it like being, you know, one of the the journeymen or the, I don't know, the everyday guys who, who race? And it's like, they're still racing for a lot too. And so they can set themselves up to race for these series overalls, which bring, you know, prestige to them and they bring a nice little payday so i mean all is not lost i think for you know our friends lauren swack and mikey v and lars and, L- and looking Ailey. at ailey and these battles that he continues to have with vanderhaar what do we make of that do we make uh do we take what they're saying at powell saws and bingal that he's not a hundred percent because it seems like past seasons uh, you, you know i don't know it, it it's it's the same debate we've been having for a while here. Is it, it and it looks like it's Ailey coming down, not necessarily Vanderhaar going up. Yet everybody else seems to be making uh, Vanderhaar look like he's having a great season. Are you trying to goad me yep. into doing the bit? Um, yep. Is this like the, the is this the Simpsons? Is this the Simpsons thing where well well actually Bill like I'm I am way more deep, you're like just say the line. You, you want me to say that Lars Vanderhart is truly back. That's what you were going for. <laughs> is he? <laughs> no, Ellie's hurt. I, yeah, I think that's right. Ellie's hurt. I, I buy that. Right. I buy that. I think yeah. that's right. I, yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. We got to move on. We said we were only going to yeah, do 30 we're doing minutes. Way too much. And uh, we've got a whole nother race to cover. <laughs> we've got a we've got a major cyclocross holiday that we All need right, to cover. Let's uh, move on to floaty less cross. Yeah, that's that. You know, talk about a real bummer. Like, bring it back. Bring back the most worthless, worthless piece of race infrastructure ever, because it was fun. And you know, like, you want to have a race that's like floaty, McFloat face, cross face. Like, that's what we want. So, bring it back next time, please, Antwerp. Well, aren't they going? I heard they're hosting nationals again, Ooh. so I think there's, or they might be. So there might be some hope that the, the yeah boat the, the boat back. like you talk about infrastructure. They dumbed down all of the infrastructure. They they had it seemed like a kilometer of flyovers for for nationals the year that it was was there as well. Plus the barge, plus the hanging heavy machinery. Like it was a. It was a wild scene at uh, at Skeleton Cross <laughs> for that year. Well, you know what? Let's say that it was kind of a wild scene out there this week, and I, that was one of the one thing I was like, compare and contrast Bohm to Antwerp, and what's the main difference? Wout was there, and my God, the fans were there. They were cheering. I mean, Sheeran was definitely hearing the cheering um, when Wout was riding, and that was that was, I don't know really cool to see like it's also like holy shit you forget just how big wout is there even though vanderpool is the freakazoid off the front like everybody's there for a wow running around i don't know just... i mean we even had fans running yeah. around like you know i mean we've bill you've documented the you, know, you, you get your spot you stand there and they were you see him sprinting as wow goes by and it must just it must just burn up the belgians that you know i mean they were so excited and brought so much energy and vanderpool in lap two just you know it's like oh by the way he's he's still really really good this isn't this isn't last year this isn't he's not very vulnerable and uh kind of spoiled the fun but for you know two glorious laps it was loud it was loud. Yeah, so if we look at last year, Van- Vanderpool's not really there. Wout comes out, and he's just, like, crushing everybody by a couple minutes. He still put – well, I guess, yeah, no, he only put, like, 15 seconds onto the field. So th- is this a is this a Wout thing? Is is Wout not where we expect Wout to be? Wout seems to think he's better than he expected. I mean, I thought that was interesting that he thinks he can improve 
that much more. I mean, like like you, we said earlier, this seemed like your cyclocross of years past. Like we've seen this game play out. You know, Wout is 12, then he's 15, then he's 12, and then then it's gone. You know, then it's 30 seconds and like that's it. So it's like, can Wout get it any better? Uh, sure. Like, but Vanderpool last weekend said he was still not the top of his game. Then he hurts his knee the day before. Then he comes out and smashes it. So it's like, is there room for improvement for Wout? I don't know. I do think that the other riders are riding at a higher level. I think that Van Turnout's at a higher level than we've seen him. I think Sweck is at a higher level than we've seen him. I think Vanderhaar, you know, except for when he was here back in the day, I think is riding at a higher level. And so, you know, and he was dealing with illness. He was supposed to race last week. We've all seen how illness can ruin a season, you know? So, I mean, here he is trying to race at the top of his, his profession coming off an illness and you never know how that's going to affect you. So, um, I, it seemed to me that he was riding into the race a little bit. I mean, he, it wasn't like bomb last year. He just dropped the bomb and rode away, but it seemed like he was taking better lines. He was getting a little bit more confidence riding into, into things a little bit. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know. I guess I still found it interesting that, you know, he chose to <laughs> where Vanderpool made the move at the start of lap two. You know, he gets off, dismounts, Vanderpool rides it and just explodes out of there. And he, he wrote it in lap two. So I liked to, to see that a little bit of learning. But my God, I mean, Vanderpool has it where he just gets a little bit of a gap and he just attacks you for the entire lap. Yeah, it's what you were. It's what you always talk about. It's like, you know, people do 30 second. 45 second attacks vanderpool does five minute attacks and there's just what do you do like 15 yeah oh he'll go yeah it just kept going you're like he's still attacking like and wow it's just like i've seen this movie before i will Uh, but mikey v gave him a tough run for his money so um might not come as easy but i think you know it really answered the question that we had was like where's vanderpool at and i mean he looks as good I mean, he looks, you know, Bill was recounting peak Vanderpool of 2017, 18, 2018, 19. He looks that good to me. I mean, just so smooth. I mean, mistakes aside, he looks great. See, we were having this conversation before. Like the way that at least I look at Matthew Vanderpool, the way I look at Wout Van Aert, you know, they, they turned, they became, they started, they sort of jumped up to the elites in 2015. That's that's eight years ago now, you know. But I still, in my head, I'm still like, oh, those kids, the young guns. You know, we're always talking about the young guns with those with those guys, and now they're eight years older, and I think there is another generation that's come up that doesn't see them in the same light that we do. They see them as kind of these older veterans that are coming back. So it's really interesting. So if if you are in that camp and you know maybe you started watching Cyclocross later on or even were brought in by the road scene, go to cyclocross24.com. Go go click on Matthew Vanderpool's name. Go click on the you could start with the 16-17 season and go, "Wow, that's a really impressive season." But then when you move over to the 17-18 season, Matthew Vanderpool, you know, was got on the podium every won every race, got on got, did not win like four or five races and was still on the podium. And then you move to 1819. I forget what happened during that Copenberg cross race, but he finished 21st. And then the third race of the season he DNF'd, and then he won every other freaking race that season. It's just insane. And then he did the same thing the next year. It's just unprecedented. So seeing him back here, seeing him winning, it's not a surprise to any of us. It's just that I guess it's good that it's not he's not winning by two minutes yet. Maybe that's the good thing. Yeah. Does he win by two minutes, though? I feel like he's a master of like just burying Wout at 15 seconds. And, you know, it opened up a little bit more. But he's he's so good at just being like, get my gap. And I'm just gonna. There, like, there like definitely, there, just there definitely per- races where because that was the whole thing is like, you know, you'll say Matthew Vanderpool is making cyclocross boring, and then some people are like, I like watching the mastery of you know, it's it's the, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Americans don't understand football, you know, thing of they're just kicking the ball around. You don't understand the art and the mastery <laughs> of the sport. Uh. 
I do have like one other, you know, so we talked about uh, Pitcock and we got to see him at bomb race a lap with Vanderpool and then kind of go off on his own. And uh, I don't know what happened at Antwerp. I guess it's as good as mine. Um, but he, you know, I, it, it, I think he's one of those guys, like, I think he knows, he kind of knows his place and he rides like a completely different person when he knows that he is the strongest rider in the race, like at Worlds last year. Uh, but when Vanderpool or Van Aert are around, he's just like, I, he's a different guy. It's, it's so, it makes sense. Cause I mean, I don't think he's shown save Havra and the pandemic year that he can beat those guys. But I, there's just one of my takeaways, like watching how just aggressive he was at Bohm after he got the lead compared to like the tentativeness and kind of the deference that he rides with was really interesting to me. And then uh, just seeing a complete, whatever happened at Antwerp. Uh, I don't know. I'd like to see him ride with a little bit more confidence and at least give it his all, you know, in these well, this, that, that might be the first time in his career that Tom Pitcock has gotten the criticism, be more confident. So I like it. I think this is good. It's a good outside look into it. Should we? Well, I mean, you know, just on that, he was talking in the press about, he, you know, Talk about, you know, the way riders talk about, you know, other teams or other riders, how they don't do that in American sports bills. Like he was like, yeah, wow. And Vanderpool, I just want the power they do. I don't have the straight power. He was sort of, you know, maybe he was hedging his bets for this weekend, Zach. Like he, he, he's admitting it. He knows that. I mean, you look at him and he has ambitions to ride, to win a tour de France, I believe. Um, And so you, you look at a course like Antwerp versus a course like Baum and you know, there's some, there's a little bit of difference. And so maybe that's part of the issue. I also don't know. I tried to go back and see what happened to him. I, is he starting farther back in a world cup than he would in super prestige? No, I don't think so. Yeah. No, I think second row. I think I was trying to, I tried to Zapruta. I was like, what the happened? Camera, he was, and he yeah, just kind of, him. he just kind of went back and Vanderpool kind of went <laughs> forward. But yeah, I mean, it also like, in this day and age though like the the day and age perhaps bomb accepted like if you want to be a, an elite world champion cyclocross racer you don't get to pick courses where you don't ride well i mean i get why with the amount of sand that it favored a powerhouse like van air and a powerhouse like vanderpool but at the same time do you get to pick and choose and be like i'm world champ but oh Eh, not that one. Yeah, that nah, that, 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 one. that is the difference. I mean, it was a power course, and that sand is like super deep, and they are just churning and churning. You got to be able to put out the watts to be able to to do well in that. You know, that's like that's why this is where Sweck won his uh, national championship. You know, and under those those same conditions, and he's a he's a master of of, of riding in the sand. I mean, speaking of putting out watts and using their power in the sand elite women's race i think we saw two two competing competing styles and uh i don't know interesting Fem van empel i mean we've made the comparison right like of the the big three or at least i tried to that van empel is the vanderpool and puck peter says the wout and here's the van uh Fem van empel making like a bunch of mistakes and still just end up dominating right <laughs> very vanderpoolian yeah i mean you know like you just look at that beginning, you look at the highlights of that race, all the highlights are, are Van Empel getting off her bike, stuffing it in the sand, just taking bad lines. And at the end, yeah, just the power. I, I, I'm just, I'll go back to what I said last weekend. I, I do think the, the, the weather plays a part and this is a different sort of, this is, this is hard, but it's dry. There's not a lot of technical descents and, you know, pucks the better, technical rider but femme has the power and femme mentioned her hands were cold in the beginning and so she was like not you know maybe just not the dexterity um and once she got that she got warmed up i suppose uh she was able to claw back puck oh i agree i mean i think we saw in the early couple laps uh when it was competitive that puck had the clear advantage on the technical parts i'm thinking that there's that the sand part that kind of like the descent with the rut where you could kind of ride out of it and that, you know, Peter sub wrote it in the first lap and femme did not take the correct line. I mean, to her credit, she corrected it in the second lap. And then in the third lap, that's actually where the race was won because Peter sub couldn't ride it. And femme Van Empel just exploded after the run, just got reclipped in and just dropped a 
you know, Watt bomb, uh, getting back up to speed and, and did it. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the case. Um, you know, Fembenempola was also talking about training through the month of November. Um, and so we could, that could be a situation where, oh man, she was training and, uh, finished second for three weeks in a row and it was terrible uh you know but there's also a chance that she might be back in her form and that the technical skills and the ability to ride this stuff may come with that so uh fortunately i mean at the end of the day though that three week old that was wondering if she would ever win a race again she's happy so all is well in the netherlands i, I was gonna bring i was gonna bring that child up just to make sure that you remember it so good uh Semi-related, but not really. I, I was watching uh, the course preview that Petersa does, and I think I found the Rosetta Stone within that course preview. If you go and you watch it at the 2 minute and 20 second mark, I think they have the – there were some barriers or some – poles across there that they couldn't that they had to sort of carry their bikes over and peter says says what the fuck and i'm thinking that fuck puck fuck puck that might be now how i remember how to pronounce her name because <laughs> it's not pook it's not puck but fuck puck so there it yeah, is yeah you gotta you got to watch those videos uh, on YouTube and put the cla- captions on and have them translated. They're a lot of fun because there's a lot of good commentary uh, in their pre-rides. Um, you know, just worth mentioning, we said this last week, let's talk about it now. You know, Femme and Puck are the Wout and Vanderpool of, of the, you know, the right now. And I was thinking about how we were just mentioning that 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 Wout and 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 Vanderpool are sort of the elder statesmen and in thinking about like development and investment and women cycling and, and how, you know, at that point, you know, maybe, you know, like Voss was just a super gifted rider who could like win everything. But now we're seeing Femme and Puck who are sort of coming up in cross and dominating and sort of just, it took a little time for the women's field to sort of match the men's, you know, field. But now we're seeing that with, uh, with a Puck and Femme and, and I'll add Sharon on there who just, who just, you know, big gaps to the rest of the field. And so they, it's sort of like that is sort of, that's where we're at. And, I guess I, I look that as an encouraging thing that we're going to, you know, that, that, that riders in the women's field will become stronger. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see. Since we're doing results, uh, shout out to, uh, to old woman Betsima, uh, <laughs> the only rider over the age of 23 in the top seven. And more importantly, our top non duchy Oh, is back yes. in the Verdun shot zone, the Verdun shot zone made a return uh so kudos to to laura verdon shot uh getting eighth place she's only 26 i she's been around seems like she's been around for a while she might still have a bright future ahead of her too i mean would love to see someone give sana Kant a run for her money sana did not have a good weekend what? uh her and she got huh? 10th at antwerp well yeah after she yeah, after she pulled the plug uh, with Lucinda at, at Bond. That's a good week. I, I'm, uh, I'm that's a win for Sonic Con. This and we had a true pony camp in a stand race. A to, a tenth is good for. Yes, that's. I'm okay. sorry. That's, I, the that bar, is good for Sonic. The bar has bar is we just. We gotta more, be realistic here. Down, I floor. just talked about the wow and MVP of the women's fields, feminine puck, light years ahead of everybody else. I love Sana. Hey, in that in that in that uh, analogy is is Shearman Anroy is the comp for her Kevin Powell's <laughs> Shearanth? Are we gonna? How long? <laughs> you know, this is the problem with like peak Van cycling Anroy. cyclocross Twitter is that no one's on there like workshopping the Shearanth <laughs> position yet. So I just want to shout out to the 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 True Pony Camp, and I I I figure. To, to actually define a true pony camp, it's when Sana is racing around with riders 10 years her junior. She was. Yes. Oh, my God. She Lene was in the pony and camp. Lauren Monograph. 19 and 17, and Sana beat them both. Yeah, but Marie Schreiber beat her. So another good ride yeah. from the uh, the heir apparent to Christine Majeris's, uh 
rain. All right, before we move on to to U.S. Nationals, one of the things that was being discussed in the Substack chat section, if you, for the CX Series Bulletin, you can get a Substack app now. I've talked about this a couple times, and if you download that app, then uh, I've been starting some some chats in there, and uh, you can uh, you can reply to them. We just learned that only I can start them on the CX Heroes Bulletin account. So Zach may Zach, if you start, if you want to start a, like a chat, just like in your pr- just parentheses, say this isn't Bill or something like that. Since since the account's under my name, so then then we can uh, uh, do that. But uh, one of the things that was being discussed in that uh, chat section, I asked for uh, some questions and comments for this episode, was the dual World Cup leader jerseys and femme and puck with the same kit on is this a concern should there be different u23 and elite jv and varsity uh kits or it's in, is it okay that they are the same i don't know who someone made the point i might have been in the uh <laughs> the cx Hairs bolton slack I don't remember, but you know, if they can do two jerseys for like, they can do like how many jerseys does the tour have? Like 17. I mean, maybe could the, I'd be okay. You know what? Throw some polka dots on it. <laughs> you can't throw for the U23. Po- I'm okay with, with adding a different Jersey. Why not? It's fun. Like you're going to give out, but no polka dots. Sorry. Sorry, Zach. My take on is it is they should not be allowed to change it and it should just be the same until they give the U23 women their own race same same with the men and then it will all make sense. But my my second reason for not changing it is guys it's not that confusing. <laughs> there are four or five women out there wearing Powell saws and Single kits. They're all the same. They're identical. You're able to tell them apart. There are people wearing Alpacin kits. They're all identical. You can tell them apart. Two people wearing white kits. You can tell them apart. Counterpoint. Yes. Triple seven. <laughs> can you tell the difference between Works Vanderheiden? <laughs> but and that's ben the thing. Alpen. So should they all have different kits on? Should we just yes, like with okay. numbers <laughs> with hockey numbers? Yeah. You know what? Wait, wait. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we, we, we solved this last Power week. Brains and 777. Who is it? Should they should one of them have like a little high vis thing on their helmet so it'd be like F1? There's like the yellow high vis rider and then the non high vis rider, so you can tell the cars apart. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's the leader on the team? They get the high vis. Yeah, I like it. So I have a question along these things. So Femme Van Ample, um, let's see. She's number one ranked UCI rider. She is the number one in the standings for the UCI World Cup. Uh, She rides with number 14, number 13. Her numbers, I don't understand the numbers they give out for the World Cups. Is that like country-based? And then why isn't she one? It's all country based. Okay. So you just start each country and then they just like line them down from there. So, 13 so it's whatever the. 14. So I think that I think that actually may mean that they are the first country. Okay. But she's still the fourth best in the country. I think that's just how well, I don't even think it's rankings from there. I think it's just however they're registered in there. Okay. Okay. They've switched it up. I feel like it used to be, I mean, because it would be the, well, the one is always reserved for the defending world champ, but then it would be by by country in terms of the UCI rankings. Right. So one would have I been Voss. Maybe, maybe it is alphabetical. I don't know. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Voss like, gets number one. Okay. And if she doesn't race, then no one gets number well, one. Well, someone drop a chat in the Slack or in the chat and let us know if you know the exact reasons for Femme's number. And the World Cups. All right, let's get to the important. Uh, oh wait, wait, hang on. Sorry. Since, oh, since we're okay, since we're talking about jerseys, I just want to make note that Sweek's jersey, World Cup leader jersey, is like budget. I don't know why, but it doesn't look as flashy as the sauces and the Alpesins, and I'm mad about that. 
and I want Creefin's free stads to up their jersey budget and, you know, make our man stand out. He's on Creelin, not Creefin for stads. Oh, God. I can't. Same thing. <laughs> Belgian sports drink, whatever. Bill, Bill. Is is there another race that maybe we should we should go to? Yeah, let's uh, talk about the most important race coming up next weekend, uh, guys. Single speed cyclocross. Let's do this. <laughs> so I, you know, Bill, I, I'm glad that we, you know, we had a lot to cover. You jumped right in. So I was at the uh, I was at the Skelda Cross of Midwest at uh, Montrose Harbor uh, this weekend in in Chicago, Sandy Race or whatever, and one uh, Casey Hildebrand won the race actually dominated the race uh and to come up to him like hey he's like you know i was really upset that you missed the one show when you could have given me a shout out for finishing third at the north carolina grand prix and he's like Bodie really dropped the ball it's like congrats on your win man and so i told him that i i would give him him a shout out and so i just want to make sure that 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 slips in there uh, for his podium finish, but uh, he was. Uh, I also give him shit though. I mean, he's the one who had like the terrible idea of like dismounting in the in the pit lane and then remounting without taking a bike at single speed nats last year. So he finished third but got disqualified. So, um, yeah, okay, you know, Zach Zach taketh and he or giveth and he taketh away, Casey. But there's your shout out, and you have your work cut out for you this year at single speed nats. Zach, I also saw those comments and I gave him a shout out in the intro to last week's episode. Okay. All right. <laughs> so now he gets two. I don't know. So how did he miss it then? If he was listening for it, I like know. I think he just wanted to give you crap because he came up to North Carolina and get, and told me the same thing. So this is this is stuck. Like this is his bulletin board material here. He's getting a lot of airtime out of this. That's how you, yeah. you, you complain. He, he has first. played. He has played this perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Getting the podium 100% first. perfectly. Yeah. But I'm glad you shared that um, controversy in the pits, Zach, because I didn't know about that. So now I know. Now I know Casey got third at North Carolina, or uh, sorry, Kings, and also now that he got DQ'd from single speed Nats last year. Zach, who's going to be the first to get DQ'd at single speed Nats this year? We got some new writers. I mean, our yeah. I mean, uh, one Kenny Werner. Have you guys heard of him? Who's this guy? Have you guys heard of Jerry him? that races single speed? Oh, that's right. Jerry races the single speed. You're right. You're right. Still, I haven't heard of the guy. Uh, Mick Tubin? <laughs> Mick Tubular? I have you guys heard of him? No. Mick Tubular? No. Was he on a cow? No I mean. I don't I don't know. Uh yeah, so we've got got some new names and we've got the old names. We've got Ben Frederick, I mean, our defending champ, we've heard of him. Uh you know, Jake Wells somewhere in wherever he lives in Colorado, there's a 1-year-old wondering if he'll ever be single speed <laughs> national champion again. I, I don't know, there's a lot of a lot of spice coming into into this race and it seems like uh some of the other riders are kind of kind of stirring things up as well. I know Mick uh, McTubular's been dropping some posts on uh instagram but i guess what's interesting to me is you can tell that uh jerry warner is new because he posted his gear ratio <laughs> like that's like a closely <laughs> held secret in single speed and he's just like oh here's my gear ratio and he was like does anyone have any ideas of what i should be running <laughs> like you don't do that that's how you know that jerry is an imposter i love it i love it you know you know zach i went on a bunch of rides this weekend and, and really i stacked that tss and I wanted to post my CTL fatigue form score or whatever, but I was like, oh, no, you can't. You're not supposed to post that. People are always, like, posting the fatigue and hiding the number, and, and people hide their power on Strava. So I feel like I almost made a noob mistake, too. And uh, thanks for warning me. Do we have any other spicy takes about this? I mean, I know there's been a lot of, like... Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, there's like, like in Austin, Craig Etheridge uh, said that single speed for should be for single speeders. And it's like this single speed community and it's the spirit of single speed. And it seems like this has come back now this year. And, you know, pros get out of single speed. It's for the single speeders. I don't know. I don't understand any of it. I have one solution for all of this. I think Max Chance actually uh, said the same thing. It's like, there's a single speed championship. It's a single speed world championship. Go race that. The single speed, you can have a single speed at nationals. 
make it a non-championship race. There is my take on single speed. Spicy. Should we get a? Uh, should we get into some elite racing since uh, we're going to be way over time? Well, like let's uh, can we can we air our grievances about the course? Sure, uh, yeah, you know, let's I do think it. That this is a, an annual tradition that I became aware of when I became uh, editor of Cyclocross Magazine. That you know, at some point for every nationals, a GoPro video comes out of the course. Um, we'd get really excited, and we'd we'd post the video to you know our website, and people would link to it. And then you know the Facebook comments. I think it was Facebook comments back in that day would just fill up of everyone being like. You know, uh, they shut up and play the hits, right? Like, this course sucks. This is why Americans suck at cyclocross. Like, this course has no elevation. This course is uh, uninspired, and this is the best that they could come up with. Uh, you know, and so Cyclocross Magazine has kind of gone uh, the direction that it has. And I felt like at the, you know, the Six Hairs Bulletin, we need to keep traditions alive. Uh, so for the second straight year, you know, we got a uh, course preview video that came out uh, shortly before Thanksgiving. Uh, we posted it and, you know, folks had some some thoughts on the course. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the big change is going to be the hill, right? We all remember the hill. Uh, I think this course benefited from being on, you know, Snowy Mountain just posted a, a retrospect. Uh, two of the most epic days of racing at Nationals in recent memory that I, you know, that certainly of the time that I've covered Nationals or watched on TV in the past de decade. Um, but it's not going to be the choose your own adventure this year. We're not going to have kind of like the the option of kick pushing across the top in the one rut or running across the bottom. Uh, so that'll be kind of interesting. Looks like a little bit of change there, but a lot of it kind of looks the same uh, as what it was in 2017. Michael. Did you have a chance while I was rambling to check out the GoPro footage? What do you think? Um, no, I didn't actually. I was over here trying to look up Cyclocross Nationals on Bike Reg. And if you type in Cyclocross Nationals on Bike Reg, you get no results. Um, but I heard there was some issues. I heard people complaining about the amount of curb hops at the beginning, but I'm assuming those will be filled with sand. So that shouldn't be an issue, right? Bo I think it was boards. Like okay. they'll do little planks or whatever. I mean, if the little Belgians can't jump over them, then the, the 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 pros also can't race on it. So let's you know. Yeah, I think and another you know another thing that wait Belgium like, is having nationals here too. Nationals are in Belgium, Bill. Come on, keep up. Uh, I mean, I think one valid concern that um, someone did have, like I know I would get annoyed as a uh, old man with back issues, like just very unimaginative, just going up and down the embankment. Like it seems like there might be upwards of three run ups for kind of for what like what's what's the purpose you know they're not it's not going to be rideable uh and so I, I think one thing people sleep on is that um at nationals in 2017 before the weather came they actually had a, a section of the course further on the levee it was kind of you know if you're looking at the hill way to the right of it um that was there for like the wednesday races and it was kind of an interesting section that they took out because the lap was too long uh, and so i know there were some comments about like should we do you know, why didn't you use more of the levy? And it's, I think that's some lessons from the previous race that they, they took that out. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my thoughts. Uh, I'm excited to go back. I mean, it was my first nationals covering as a journalist. So I think there's always a, a little bit of like specialness and, um, I don't know. Lots. I think there's lots of cool stories to be talked about. I mean, it's in the Northeast. Uh, Curtis white has made it very clear that he wants to win nationals there. Um, in 2017 at Hartford, he was very much the favorite. I mean, he had won Pan Ams uh, in the U23 category, was doing really well. And I mean, he, you know, he didn't do it. He crashed uh, and was out of that race, uh, which turned into one of the most, really one of the most epic races I've seen with Max Chance of all people getting the win after. No, no, he didn't win. Sorry. Lance Haydet. Lancey Pants won because Max Chance race. Yep. dropped his chain three corners uh from the finish uh lizzie gonzalez uh snowy again they posted my uh, photo of me interviewing her i talked to her she has not won nationals uh or jersey since winning there as like a 13 year old um so she is you know pan am champ and going back you know again northeast this is a home race for all these people so i think there's just lots of like really cool stories you know can lancy pants recreate the magic you know he kind of came out of nowhere and won the race back in 2017 in that snow race uh so i'll be i'm excited i'm excited about it do we know if spencer 
Hal from the Slow Ride Podcast will be there to be on the spot. I mean, talk about journalism. He was the guy with the video of Hyde destroying his bike on the final turn. That, you know, that was kind of like, that was like Pulitzer Prize winning journalism from that. And I, I think... You know the, the the crowning moment of the Slow Ride podcast, right there, that they actually did real work. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he'll be back to to cover that as well. The one thing that I noticed, just having seen this before in the snow, and then looking at the map again, and the, and the one thing that you know we we talk about, you're right, Zach, uh, that there was that whole other section down the the top of the the dike that's that's not here anymore, but also in that snow year, there was a whole other section to the, uh, the opposite end, sort of the Southern end of the, of the course that was taken out as well to, to make the lap shorter and all of that's back in there. So, which for us in a selfish way, I look at this course and I look at like, are the stairs going to be interesting? I don't know. Is the, but if they are, are you going to be able to see anything at the stairs and also see anything up in the in the run up section because it looks like they're really far away from each other and that's that's my one course design again this could be we 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 all looked at uh Illinois yesterday last year and we're like ah it's kind of like a whatever course and we got there and we're like this is awesome this is great this is you know one of the most fan friendly uh, courses we've been to. It's got challenges. It's got flow. It's, you know, it really checked all the boxes except for maybe that sand pit after the start. But other than that, I think that, you know, I, I think we're all on the same, you know, at the same page that that was a really, really, really good uh, uh, venue. This, this to me looks like I wish it were even more compressed. And and it's the type of thing that I wish where we have that hole where you're right, where it's just up and down. Go back on yourself a couple times. You know, they could have used that thing and gone um, on on that elevation sideways or diagonally or whatever and then come back on it and gone back again. And then you can bring it closer to the action. So you don't have to go so far out. You can bring both sides closer to the action. You can get more spectator involvement. And, and then I think it's a, it's a better experience for everything. I'm saying all of this with a grain of salt because we could get there and it could just be amazing. I don't know. That's just looking at a map and a GoPro video, which, you know, cool. I'm glad you did it, but it doesn't really show me anything because it's just flattens everything out. Well, it is, it is kind of spread out. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember during when the power went out, when the cables got cut, it was the, the race that we were all super anticipating was the U23 women's race between Ellen Noble and Emma White. And I was running the Cyclocross magazine Twitter and was like head live Twitter on one side of the course. And Spencer and the Slow Ride Pod uh, guys had live Twitter on the other side of the course, but it was like very spread out. You had to make a choice. Like you could go to the, the twisty section in the second half or you could go to like the really cool hill section and it's just it's another very kind of like reno-esque spread out venue so i'm i'm kind of curious as this will be my first time there as a photographer i'm kind of curious how annoyed i'll be and how many steps i'm going to end up getting you know because you want those like epic shots people are going to the people are going to want the epic shots of like the side of the the levee but then there's the rest of the course way over there, and if you're there, you're not getting back there. So, you, so. you've been uh, you've been playing meteorologist for us, Zach, and it looks like it's done. The conditions are changing. Uh, so, you know, when we first were looking at it, we we're like, "Hey, Sunday's looking pretty nasty. Could start out raining, maybe even have some snow flurries. Could get some mess and some muck in there." What's the uh, what's the to the minute update? Uh, the two minute. I mean, so we're looking like we might get some rain on Wednesday. We're looking at eighty five percent right now, and um, I mean that's two days from now. We're recording this on Monday, but really drying up. I mean, Sunday we're looking at 16 percent chance of rain. Uh, just I don't, you know, that kind of like maybe like Chicago. I mean, Chicago ended up being pretty slick, but in terms of the conditions that we, in terms of the weather, um, I it doesn't look like right now we're going to get the epic that we were hoping for 
or the gross. It looked gross. Actually, Bill texted us and he was like, this is going to be the worst day ever. No, it's just, that, that I think I used that word. I was like, this is going to be gross. And and again, it's it's it's, yeah. it's always that, that dual thing that like it may be miserable to be out there, but it could be some really cool racing. And, and I'll take it. If it's just one day or for a couple hours, awesome. Yeah. Got to, you know. Uh, there, there are places to get warm. I'm, I'm all for it. And, and I was kind of hoping for that. And I think that, uh, I, I, you know, I had, I was chatting with Zach. I don't know where you're at, Michael, at least for the, if we're looking at predictions, I think for the men's race, it kind of, we, we, we had some, we had some aspirations and some hopes for some riders out there. And, and this, uh, this change in weather may change those, those predictions. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, Looking at that that weather forecast, thinking about Chicago, it's hard not to see it as an Eric Bruner uh, race. Uh, I know that I was gonna go all in on Curtis White um, this year, but he could do. I mean, I don't know. Just we'll see how the course plays out. I've never been there. I'm excited to see that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was going to bring my boots this year, Bill. I was going to be prepared and not have to make a last night like trip to Walmart to get some more gear. I was going to be ready, but I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, tonight I took, the, took the blue line home, uh, was walking down Belmont and getting ready, thinking about the pod. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm like everything, everything in me says that I'm not going to do it. But based on, you know, what I thought about the weather, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I, I can't. You can do it. <laughs> Come on. But I'm not. I mean, I did last year, and Kerry really kind of. He kind of. <laughs> you, like you're burying the lead on what you were going to do. <laughs> I was going to pick Kerry Werner, and I'm not. Uh, I have made the mistake of uh, going against, not not sticking with uh, Eric Bruner, and I think that would be a mistake in this case. Um, you know, Curtis, I hope that you can pull off some New England magic and we'll get an incredible story. But right now, I think all signs to me, like Michael said, point towards Bruner winning this race. I think that's a safe bet. I'll um I'll 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 be the one. I'll I'll I have I have nothing to lose by getting into getting into Kenny Corner. So that's uh that's where I'm gonna be. Kerry Warner, national championship. It's going to be the redemption for Tacoma. It's going to happen with the year that he doesn't even concentrate on cyclocross. That would be a story. All going to come together. I love it. Uh, Yeah, so uh, if it snows, if there's a hurricane, if there's a tsunami, if it's 80 degrees and sunny, is anybody but Clara Hansinger winning the women's race? So here's my question to you guys. So last year, uh, she won by three minutes and 16 seconds. Uh, I think that, yeah, Raylan Nuss has improved a lot. Like Austin Killips has been, you know, just exploded onto the scene. Uh, two minutes and 15 seconds over or under. Oof. I'm saying the under. I'm a believer. I believe in magic. 215 over and under. Um, that's that's a really good number, Zach. That's well done. Um, sure, I'll go the other way. I'll go over. All right. I like it. I mean, I mechanicals could happen. I mean, it could be a literal anything can happen in cyclocross uh, situation, but it's really hard. I don't know. It's hard to see someone knocking off Claire Hansinger uh, at this point. So first year... In the elites for Scott Funston, we got Scott McGill out there. You got the the, the sort of the the instigators, the Scots there, the salute crew. Uh, so this is a national championship. Everybody's trying to win a stars and stripes jersey. Do they help Bruner? Hmm. Depends on how many watches he's buying him. Uh, I'd be curious to see. I mean, I think one thing to me that is interesting <clears throat> being there the whole week. So back, you know, Cyclocross Magazine, we'd get there on Wednesday and we'd watch four days of racing before the elites is I think you kind of get a vibe of like how a course plays out. You know, I think we saw like at Reno, everyone was like, oh, my God, this is going to be group racing. We have group racing. And there were very few group races except for like the elite men's at the end of that week because there were just parts that blew the course apart. So. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd be curious to see if this course would lend itself to group racing because it definitely did not. Conditions played a role in that. But like, 
I know with like the snow and the weather, like that second half of the course, like in the windy, twisty sections down by the river was creating like crazy gaps. So I don't know. I can't say like, is there even going to be group racing? Don't know. We're going to find out. Uh, anything else we need to say here? We, we, we actually, we actually came in right at an hour. I'm, I'm impressed. I, I think that we have just like nailed this time uh, week in and week out now. I'm pretty happy about this. It'll be easy to edit. I I think we should uh, end here and, okay, cue Michael. Yeah, I was going to say, guess what, guys? Nat starts tomorrow with 43 men in the 50-plus non-championship race. Can't wait to see those GoPro footage. <laughs> well, that was it. I mean, we, we, you know, the last time I was in Hartford, we saw a whole different Nats at the beginning of the week than we did at the end of the week. So I don't know what we're going to get. You know, we had the... Uh, we had the first iteration of the of the butt slide Olympics that sort of got overtaken by Rochester this year. So I don't know. Look forward to be there. I'll actually be there on Thursday. Yeah, driving up on Wednesday, so I'll get a little bit of a preview for it, and then uh, we'll uh, catch up with you all on Friday, Saturday, Saturday. All right. Cool. Well, next stop, Hartford, Connecticut. See y'all there. Didn't the butt slide start in Austin? Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast. And we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Grodio Podcast.